hands together and welcome a true hero of the faith, Ryan Boyette. Thank you guys so much for having me. In Sudan, when someone gets up to talk, I, I've heard it many times, they say, uh, I don't have much to say, but then they go on for three hours. So I'm just taking a little bit of extra time today. Um, the reason I'm here is my grandfather went to this church. My father was baptized in this church, and my uncles were baptized in this church. My grandparents were married in this church. And my grandfather passed away a few months ago. And through that, I met a couple here that invited me, and now this church started supporting our work. So I'm here because of his death, but I'm ultimately here because of the, uh, the death of our Savior on the cross, and that is the reason why I'm here. And I want to tell you a little bit of my story since this is the first time um, that I'm speaking in this church. In 2003, I read a two-paragraph article about a 30-year civil war in Sudan. I had just graduated college, and I was like, what? How have I never heard about a 30-year civil war in Sudan and a greatly persecuted church in the middle of, of Sudan? And I'm a college graduate. And so I started doing research, and I started to figure out, how can I go? I want to help. I want to help. And I found the organization called Samaritan's Purse. Do you guys know Samaritan's Purse? That's uh, Franklin Graham's organization. And I, I called them up. I said, I want to go to Sudan. They said, do you want to work for us? And I said, sure, that sounds great, but I just, I just need to get to Sudan. And so soon after that call, I was in a flight, an old DC-3 World War II plane landing on a dirt runway. I was excited, filled with the Holy Spirit to serve God. And I was there. I'm ready to meet the people and meet the church and tell people about Christ. And then the doors of the airplane opened, and it was 115 degrees. And I thought, what am I doing? But then I started to learn and know the people and, and, and learned about the resilience. And one of the main projects that I did with Samaritan's Purse was I arrived during a window of peace. And so when I arrived, my job was to go and do, at first, to do a lot of research in all the churches that were in this, in this community in the Nuba Mountains of Sudan. The Nuba Mountains is 70% Muslim and 30% Christian. And the church grew tremendously during the war, surprisingly. Through suffering and through persecution, the church grew at the, at the greatest numbers. And so from, from moving from church to church, I heard story after story of persecution of pastors and the killing of elders and the burning of villages and churches. And I heard so many. Over 300 churches were, or sorry, over 160 churches were destroyed. I have a friend named Pastor James, and I have many, many like this, but I just want to tell you about Pastor James the, the enemy um, came in, the, the soldiers came in from the government, uh, the Islamic government, and started burning the village down. And they, they identified the pastors and elders because they were the, the educated, and they could uh, read the Bible to the people. And they took Pastor James, and they tied ropes around his hand, and they drug him behind a car because he would not denounce Christ. And he has wounds all over his hands and all over his stomach from being drugged behind a car. And that's what it means to be a Christian in Sudan. And I learned so much during that time. I thought I did. Then I met my wife, who is from Sudan. I was a young man when I went there. Um, my parents came to visit, and my mother needed a translator. And then I decided I needed a lifetime translator. So that is the picture of my wife there. Uh, her name's Jazeera, and that's our two kids. And... I 
we got married in 2011. I met her in 2007. We got married in 2011. And there were 6,000 people at our wedding because of all the work that we have done all around the Nuba Mountains. Um, we, we rebuilt 160 churches um, in the Nuba Mountains. And because of that, all the people came um, to our wedding. It, w- it was the most amazing thing. And, and it was a great time. And it was something we needed to prepare us for what was about to happen. So just two months after we were married... Um, we started seeing that the war was going to start again. The dictator Omar Bashir was uh, saying a lot of things about the people of Nuba, and certainly the, the war started. It was on uh, June 6th at the 6th hour. 666 is when the war started. That's, that's the saying in, in Nuba. And it, we're almost at the, the what, eight-year anniversary, uh, nine-year, eight-year anniversary of the, of the war. And when the war started, we, we live on a plateau, and we could hear the gunshots immediately. I mean, it was loud, constant gunfire. Airplanes would come in and bomb and destroy uh, villages. Armies would come in and burn the villages down. The rebel soldiers in Nuba would fight. And so I remembered that two-paragraph article, and I remembered nobody knows about this. So I created an organization called Nuba Reports. I brought in uh, Sudanese uh, volunteers. We got cameras. We, we snuck in. Uh, I'm not allowed to go in the country legally. We have to sneak across a border. And we brought in international journalists who would in turn train our journalists. We would go to the front lines. Um, but as a result of our, of our work, the Sudan government took notice. It was the first time images and video of this was getting out to churches in America who were, many people were writing their congressmen, and, and the U.S. government was, was talking into this, and so the government of Sudan was angry about that. So in May 2012, um, an airplane came in, um, and, and I was with two of my reporters. My wife was at the neighbor's house, and it dropped six bombs in a line on my house. I was in a hole. Uh, we were, I was laying down in the hole with uh, two of our reporters with me. Um, the, the third bomb landed um, uh, near my wife, and she was laying behind a big rock. There was no hole for her to get into at the time, and a piece of shrapnel hit this rock that she was laying behind and ricocheted off. And she was pregnant with our son at the time. She was seven months pregnant, but God protected us. And my son's name, we named him Ebenezer, Eben, um, which is a rock of help. And, and we did that as a remembrance of God protecting us that day. But here's the thing. That is a horrible story, but this happens to a million people. This, there was bombing like this every single day for three years straight, and the war is still ongoing up to today. So despite all of that, I, actually, I want to show you a video of a bombing so you understand what it's like for many children and people of Nuba and I want you to specifically listen to the sound of the airplane. Because if an airplane flies over right now, I can hear it. Every child in the Nuba Mountains, they, they live in houses made of mud and grass, and that's all they have. But they can still recognize the sound of an airplane that they've never even ridden, but they know that it bombs them. And I want you to listen to this. These sounds could be heard all over Nuba all the time. And this is what children have to live through. 
Now I want to tell you what brought us here and what we're doing really quick. Every village I went to and every um, place I went to, whether it's a village that's 100% Muslim or 100% Christian, um, they have always said the thing they need and want is education. These are people who are picking roots and boiling them for hours because there's no food because of the war. They're hardworking farmers, but they can't farm. And the first thing they ask for is education. They feel like that's going to get them out of the oppression that they are in. The Christians say we need uh, our children to, to be able to read the word of God because right now because of the war, kids can't go to school, they can't read. And the war's been going on for nine years now. And so they said we're, we're not able to reach our people and we know that the Muslim villages also want that. So they said please come and create schools in the middle so that we can be a part of that school and we have a way to talk to people about Christ. And so that's what we're doing. We're creating a whole new education system. Right now, there are little schools in which the teachers will volunteer, but the education is very poor. And every student has a rock on their desk. And in and, and that rock, and I tell you the story to tell their, resistance, their resilience, that rock is there so that when a plane comes to bomb, they can put the rock on their papers and then run to the bomb hole. And if the bomb doesn't hit the school, then they can return to class. That's how much they want it. And this is an open door to tell them about Christ and create a relationship with the people in, in, these, in these communities and help the church to do that as well. And so I started an organization called To Move Mountains, and it's just that. We believe that villages are going to move for Christ. Through this desire and because of this war, many Muslims ask, what is Christianity? We've heard evil things about it from our government, but we've only seen good things. And we want to show them that love. And we want to move villages for Christ. And I believe that that's going to happen. So we're creating a new education system with a new curriculum. And that's why we're here in the U.S. right now. And we'll go back in two years when the education system's completely done and written down and new books and new curriculum. And we'll go back and forth between that time, but full time in two years. At the same time, we handpick 26 students from the Nuba Mountains. Many of them are orphans, boys and girls from different areas. And we brought them to school in Uganda. So from the Nuba Mountains to Uganda is a five-hour plane flight. So they're very far from their families. They can't talk to their families, and they're in school. They're going to finish high school, and then we're going to bring them back to be the teachers in the schools that we create. And so I believe that through this, we're going to see God work in mighty way. He's already opened so many doors for us. And I'm asking you if I want to show you a real quick video of To Move Mountains and a story about a boy named Ezekiel. The Nuba people work hard. They collect their water from wells. They farm for their food that just want to live their lives. But because of war imposed on them by their government and bombing and the destruction of their villages, generation after generation have grown up in conflict. Children struggle to get an education in the midst of violent outbreaks from their government. Ezekiel Joseph is no different, and as a result of the war, he lost his father and became an orphan. But despite that, Ezekiel was always the top of his class in the Nuba Mountains. We notice Ezekiel's skills and resilience and desire for his education. We brought Ezekiel from the Nuba Mountains two years ago to the refugee camp in South Sudan where he got on his first airplane ride and traveled to Uganda where we put him in an excellent school. The structure of the school alone impressed us a lot. The structure impressed us and we really felt that if the school was to be like that, that means you are leading to a success. He is always the top of his class. 
and he took what, we, what they have there, like the SAT test, and he scored the highest score out of all northern Ugandan states. This is a boy who English is his third language. He learned to write his ABCs and numbers on the ground because there was no paper and pen where he is. And now he is the top of all northern Ugandan states. We are extremely happy about this. And not only Ezekiel, but all the students that we are supporting are doing great in school. Most of them are at the top 10% of their class. They'll come back to be the teachers in the schools that we create with a new curriculum for the Nuba people. And we need your help. If you are watching this video right now, I ask you just to click donate and donate anything you can. And I, I assure them like this, their investment is not in vain. I'm very sure all of us are going to do things that will even impress them in future and they will still remember these people and we will not forget them also as our donors. So that's the story of Ezekiel. And all of our students are doing excellent and we're looking for support for them. I'm asking, this church does support us, but we need to raise more money. I'm asking if you can, if you can go to our website, which I think we have it, it's um, to movemountains.org. And if you're willing to donate on a monthly basis, that is really what we need so that we can plan for these kids' future to come back to then be the teachers in the schools that we create. This is changing a life. Ezekiel's life will never be the same. And he will be able to impact his, his, his people for the kingdom. And I'm asking if you can support us, go to there, click donate monthly. If you can only make a one-time donation, it's a great help. You can also just click donate monthly and there's, there's a button there to do a one-time donation. I want to leave you with one verse and one challenge. And this is a verse that, that brought me to Sudan. It's a verse that has kept me there and, and kept me strong. It's Acts chapter 5, 38 and 39, when the apostles were um, on trial and, and they're possibly going to be put to death. And it says, someone stood up and said, Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And that's what it boils down to. I read that and I want to be a part of something that cannot fail. I don't want my life in the end to just have no meaning. And I ask that of you, not just for this program or this mission, but I ask it of you in your own lives. As you see what you're doing in your life, in your work, in your interactions, in your relationships, in your church, in your community, in everything that you're doing, is, are you doing it in a way that it cannot fail and it's a part of the kingdom? And as you do that, you know, we might trip and we might fall and we might die. But in the end, God's kingdom does not fail. Amen? I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for your support. And I hope to shake your hand and meet all of you at some point. Thank you so much and God bless. You know, today we're going to continue on the series, Being Fully Alive. And maybe you're here for the very first Sunday and you say, well, what's fully alive even mean, pastors? Ever since Easter, we have been declaring that Jesus had the authority and the power to resurrect from the dead. And he didn't just become barely alive, he became fully alive. It didn't go from him being wrapped in grave clothes in a tomb to him having a pulse. He became fully alive. And in being fully alive, he gave us the promise through Scripture that says because he lives, we can live also. 
And so we've been studying what it means to be fully alive. And the last two weeks we have been studying what it means to be fully alive in the power of the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit can enable us. And at the point of salvation, you become a tabernacle, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Which means you should now be living differently than what you were prior to this encounter with God through the transformational power of the gospel. Matter of fact, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. That means that you have been supernaturally enabled to love differently than you did before. To have a joy that's uh, overwhelming. To have a peace that passes all understanding. And when we tell the world that we have something that they need, our lives need to reflect that. And I gave an example as if if the Holy Spirit had the supernatural gift of basketball, which we're going to play today after service. And I was enabled and supernaturally gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit to play basketball. That means that you should see a difference in my basketball abilities prior to uh, that moment with God. And after that moment with God, my abilities should increase. Same thing with love, joy, and peace. But there's not only in the uh, scripture about God, the Holy Spirit, that gives us demonstrations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but there's also a list of fruits of the Holy Spirit. And in those both lists of both gifts and fruits, there is the gift and the fruit of faith. So what does it mean to be fully alive in your faith? Because most of us have an understanding of faith, especially with some of the more modern teachings going on, that I don't know how scripturally they are, but you know that, that's for each to judge and uh, discern uh, through scripture. We're not here to throw stones at anybody. But we have a faith most of the time for what God can do for us. We have a faith in His ability. But when your origin is in what God can do, Sometimes that's shaky ground because sometimes God says no. And if your faith is built upon the fact that God needs to perform for you instead of just having faith in who He is, then sometimes it allows us not to really have a depth in our relationship with God that, make, that helps us be motivated through the storms of our lives. Let me give you an example if you're here today. Because you say, Pastor, God has the ability to heal people, right? Yes, He does. And we pray for God to supernaturally, divinely heal people all the time. But sometimes their healing is not received on earth. It's received in heaven. Because there's no sick people in heaven. Can somebody say amen? So how many of you have had a family member where you prayed for them to continue living, but yet they passed away? Can you raise your hand? A lot of us. So there's a lot of us that had a desire and a will for God to do something different. And we had something different in mind for God to do as we exercised our faith. But he chose to do it a different way. And that's the faith I want to talk to you about today. Because I'm going to read you a passage of scripture about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in Daniel chapter 3 and I'm going to preach the entire chapter. So I'm going to talk about it during the message. So would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray. Father, today I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do something in us that will forever change us. Father, I ask you to move our hearts. I ask you to touch our minds. I ask you you to do something supernatural in us that forever we are changed in your presence. Allow us to celebrate the God that can do anything 
But when you say no, let us have a faith to believe that you're sovereign. And you have a plan. And that our faith is not shaken. And our faith is not destroyed because we had a plan in our mind, but in your heart it was different. So Father, supernaturally enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit today to live a fully alive life in faith. And I give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This whole chapter is about three kids. They're probably late teens, at the most early 20s. They are prisoners of war. They've been taken and exiled out of their home country, out of the city of Jerusalem, and they have found themselves in Babylonian captivity. Now, there's some incredible things to know about the history of Babylon. One of them was the walls surrounding the city of Babylon were immense. They were, they were uh, incredible when you read the dimensions of how wide they were and how tall they were. And that what they wanted to, to uh, project is this is the most protected city in the world. And you've got 18, 19-year-old kids walking in and it didn't look pr- protected. It looked like a prison. Like I can never, once I get past these walls, I can never get out. There is a, this is the strongest army in the world. I can never break free. But even in that environment of being a prisoner of war, the favor of God was upon these young men and these young men excelled in their talent both naturally and supernaturally, both in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. They were men like Daniel. They were all friends. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were spiritual men. They had moments of prayer, but yet they still were natural men that had the power of intellect to do wise things. The king saw this wisdom even in young children and, and young men and teenagers and he actually put them in positions of authority. It's amazing sometimes when we release those kids up there to do supernatural things. It's amazing when we start speaking with a faith that says you've got something inside of you because you are a child of God, enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world. And you can start with your own household and start with your own neighborhood and you can have revival on your own street. It is amazing what can happen when the hearts of young men and women get convinced that God wants to do something great with them. You say, Pastor, I don't know, you need to have wisdom. Yeah, I was 34 years old when I come here 17 years ago. My hair was black. I had hair, for first of all. It was black. I was young. I was inexperienced. And 17 years later, I can tell you miracle after miracle of what we've seen God do. Seven and a half years before that, I was pastoring a church in North Florida. In my mid-twenties, I shouldn't have been probably leading anybody, but God caused a revival to happen in North Florida that in a town of less than 600, we had a church of about 300 to 350 people every Sunday. Amazing what God could do when you have this thing called faith. Well, the problem with this, most people, when they get positions or authority or power, they look at that and say they want to communicate a testimony that says this, look at what God has done in my life. Look at the blessings He's brought to me. But sometimes the very blessing that you desire is the very avenue for persecution and the very avenue for people to hate you. 
See, they were hated for their positions of authority by the Babylonians. What is it that, what's wrong with the king of putting kids in charge of whole provinces? What is it with this king that allows prisoners of war, slaves, to become people of authority? They took jobs from me. You hear that before? Like God's only got a few jobs. And if somebody gets one, you, you're left out, you know. Why don't we just believe enough God can do enough to provide jobs for everybody? How's that? And so they're hated. And then not only are they persecuted and hated, but now their faith comes into a challenge because the king goes crazy and over the next period of time he builds a 90-foot statue and covers it with gold and says, this is what we're going to do, team. Every leader is going to be an example for the people they're over and everybody's going to come to the desert and I've got this big 90-foot idol ready to go and when the music starts, everybody's going to bow and worship because I'm going to demonstrate my political authority of telling people who they can worship and what's the right way to worship and then I'm going to extend my authority into the religious realm and tell them what God they can worship. So really what he was saying is, is nobody's going to worship a God that I can't control and since I made that one I'm in control of that one and that's the one everybody's going to worship. And all the leaders including Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego find themselves in the desert and the music starts. Everybody, the Bible says, I don't I have time to go through all of it. It says all bowed except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thousands of people at the moment of the first note instantly. Can you imagine the sound of that? All of a sudden, everybody putting their knee on the ground at the same time and it just... And all of a sudden you have three kids standing there and go, no, we're not doing that. No, no, no. We, we've been taught since we were born that God uh, doesn't like when we worship other gods and we're going to stand in a conviction of faith not based upon what He can do for us but for who He really is. Because if we realize who He really is I would rather die knowing that I was pure in my worship and pure in my faith than to live knowing. And that's so contrary to today's church. Because... What we would have told them to do is just pretend. God knows your heart. Anybody ever heard that? God knows your heart. He knows the intentions of your heart. And He knows you really love Him inside. But just bow to the idol so you don't die. You find out how we can become so flexible in our faith that one day we said we believe in this and now we don't believe in that anymore and now we believe in this and this becomes that and that becomes this and all of a sudden we don't know what we believe anymore because we just believe in everything now. Because it's politically correct. No, I don't believe that you can get to heaven through Hinduism. I know that's not politically correct and they're probably going to find me on the internet and try to persecute me for that because I'm telling you there's good people that have intentions and they are committed to their faith system. But this book right here tells me there is no other way unto the Father but through the Son. That means any other message of the gospel outside of Jesus is not possible. And they're just standing there and it gives their enemies opportunity for accusation. 
And they go to the king and they tell the king, you know what, those kids you put in charge of everybody, we told you that was a mistake. Now they're defying you and your authority and now they tell me that you can't tell them what God to worship. You know what happens when people stand in a moment of faith? Other people get mad. And what happens to your faith when others start to get angry at you? And all of a sudden, the kissing cousin to anger and, and, and hatred starts to rear its ugly head because what happens soon after you take a stance of faith and it makes somebody angry, intimidation is soon to follow. And the king said this, bring them to me. See, it's easy for them to defy me out in the desert when I'm in the palace. Get them in my presence and let's see what happens then. The Bible says that he was furious at the, at the mention that some did not bow. And, and verse 13 said, Nebuchadnezzar was furious and rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men to the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I want to know what is going on in you. Is it true that you're willing to have a faith in a God that cannot be seen? Is it true that you're willing to have the convictions of Scripture and allow the power of God's Word to be the authority in all of our lives? Is it true that we are going to stand and with a love of the power of the gospel and even though others disagree with us, we are going to supernaturally be enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to even love our enemies? Can somebody say amen? Because here's the thing about the whole story. We read it because we know the ending. They thought they were going to die. There's never a passage that says, you know what? An angel went and whispered in there and said, don't worry about the fire. You're going to make it. He's not going to let the fire hurt you. They didn't get any information like that. Now, I'm going to go back and just preach a little bit of what Ryan spoke in first service that he edited in second service, is that in the years, at the eight years of peace where he got established in, in the Sudan, it was wonderful, but the churches, like he said, were in a higher trajectory of growth during the conflict of war. But in the moments of peace, they were preaching the gospel. And the first bombs that went off, people with good intentions and probably with wisdom come to him and his family and said, Hey brother, you are a father and a husband now. Get the heck out of there. And he said, how can we preach the Gospels in, in, in times of peace? And then when war breaks out, run for safety. When we have declared that the God that is the God of the universe, come hell or high water, life or death is worth giving your life for, there is no way in the world I will leave this country because we now have an opportunity to say it's easy to preach in times of peace. But when they're dropping bombs on you, we're going to stay. And here's the thing, no angel went and whispered to him and said, hey man, don't worry about the bombs, they're not going to kill you. He hasn't got that revelation yet. Because you know what? They might kill him. But he stayed. See, we want God to meet us when we take one inch worth of faith. Because you know what happens to these kids in the palace of the king? 
the king gets so overwhelmed with rage, he tells him, if you don't do this, I am going to kill you right now. And this is what's going to happen. I've got, not only did I have you come, but I got the instruments, the musicians to come, and they're going to play again. You're going to have one more chance. And these kids do something that's amazing. They say, hey, don't worry about the musicians. We're not bowing. And they say this, God, because the king, let me just read what he said. It says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made, and all will be well and good. But if you do not, Worship, you shall immediately be cast in the fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to wait in these matters. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver, and he could deliver us out of your hand, O king. But it is not, if not... Be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're saying, I'm not going to worship him and have faith in him because I know what he's going to do because I may die right now and that's okay because in my last breath I will know I stayed true to the commitment and my faith is going to be strong and my God will still reign and that means that what happens when, when a bomb comes the next time and God forbid it hits Pastor Ryan's house and, and maybe everybody doesn't survive, what happens then? What happens if, if Brother Ryan and I'm not prophesying nothing brother I'm just trying to make a point because you live in a place where the bomb could fall and take your life and I promise you at the moment of that time where that bomb explodes and his eyes close on this earth he will open them in the presence of an almighty God and what will God help me preach this what will happen next is wise men will say, I told him to use wisdom in all that he did. But what they don't realize is that they may take one person from wherever he's from in southwest Florida and move them through a two-paragraph article all the way over to Sudan. But what the enemy will not tell you is, is that if he breathed his last today in the comforts of southwest Florida, there will be a boy named Ezekiel that will take the word of God and preach it with authority and power. And they will, be, and all of a sudden, 27 students will become 27 Ryans that will stand up and say, we will not bow to the bombs that will drop on us. We will see God do something supernatural and revival will be pre, uh, bring a peace that passes all understanding to my area of the Sudan. Can somebody say amen? amen. So the, the enemy, th this is one thing, Amy, come get ready to play me something. Just because you take an inch of faith don't mean things are going to get better. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and prophesy this. When you take a step of faith, it's probably going to get worse. The Bible says that when these guys told the king, 
nah, we ain't doing it. Don't play the music. No, no use in that. The Bible says he got so angry, he made the fiery furnace seven times hotter than it ever was, put them in ropes. Now they're bound. They're in their clothes. They're being carried to a fire that is seven times hotter than it's ever been. And what ha- it is so hot that when they open the gates of the furnace, it consumes the guards throwing them in the fire. You would have thought that God would have said, hey, wait a minute, you've done your work. You've did what you were supposed to do. And that, that's so crazy in today's world. Well, friend, you stood up for Jesus in the desert He knows your heart now. Just bow at the palace. No, man, your faith needs to stay strong. You're going through some stuff and it's tough and it hurts and it's painful. But stay true to your convictions. The last word God gave you, stand on it. We have so many people. We we have a culture. Can I preach just for a minute? Can I preach a little hard? Can I just for a second preach a little hard? We have an anemic church because we can't get through personal conflict because the pastor has to worry about hurting people's feelings every single week when we're dealing with issues of sin that allow you to go to other churches to hear something more comfortable. So we have to realize that and try to water it all down. And I'm just not going to do it. Sin is sin. Amen. Because we need somebody that when they pray in the name of Jesus, they don't get intimidated because the mountain don't get up and move and the fire doesn't disappear. But sometimes it does and we celebrate that moment of miraculous intervention. But we need somebody with a backbone when the fire starts raging hotter than it was before your proclamation of faith that somebody has a spine enough to walk into the fire even if it kills them. So these kids (laughs) fall, you know, can you imagine? I'm just, I'm blown away by this whole story because I'd have been going, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, I thought, I thought we wouldn't get all the way to here. They're really throwing us in. Are we really committed? And I could hear brothers and the brothers saying, yes, we are committed. Even if it takes our life, we will not serve another God because we know he is good. And we know his character is for our good. And he said we would be so confused after our survival and the guilt would override our hearts and our hearts would be divided between two gods. But we know that we are going to stay pure and to the test of faith even unto our death. And they're taken all the way to the fiery furnace and thrown in. Fully expecting to die. And they hit the bottom. I'm going to try not to be disrespectful. Because they meet somebody at the bottom of that furnace. Said, hey boys, I've been waiting on you. Oh, have you noticed the only thing that's burned up is the ropes that once had you. The things that bound you, you're now free. Stand up in my presence. See, he didn't come to teach them another lesson. They were the lesson being demonstrated to a whole nation, to the eyes of a king. He didn't come and say, you know what, I've been waiting for you to show up so I could disciple you a little bit. Discipleship is important. But don't 
don't take for granted what can happen in his presence in an instant because at that moment in time they walked into a fire knowing that it's probably going to take them their lives but what it was doing was opening a door for an attitude and an intimate relationship of worship that they had never had before before I worship the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob before I worship because the law told me to worship but when I got in the fire with the Son of God he told me to get up out of the ashes and stand in his presence and the Bible says that the king looked in and said wait a minute I thought we threw three in there he said but I see four standing in perfect health and walking around and the fourth looks like the son of God see everybody wants to pray for revival but God's waiting for a people to have enough gift of faith to walk through a few little bits of persecution our persecution in America is our friends thinking we've lost our mind and gone crazy real persecution is when they're dropping bombs on your house and you're staying I think we can live through a few friends thinking we've lost our mind and to stand up for our God because the moment that we have a faith to stand in his presence and worship through the persecution and worship through the trials of our faith the world's not looking at you only only Christians celebrate when your family gets healed you know when you stand up in church and say you know my mom and dad they had cancer and all of a sudden God miraculously healed and all the Christians clap what the world sees is when your mom and dad go to heaven and the spirit that resounds in scripture when you're reading about Job says oh but they slay me oh but you didn't answer the prayer the way I thought you would yet will I serve you yet will I worship you yet will my voice be lifted up yet will my hands be extended to the one that didn't do it the way I wanted him to do it but he's still God that's when they take note and say wait a minute that's, this is weird you should hate God by now but you're still singing yeah, because I know that who he is, not what he could do. And I know that there's coming a day where Grandma and I will see our, ourselves together in his presence. I love the fact that they weren't sitting in that furnace. Like with marshmallows. Like... I, you know, I have to read this just with a little bit of, of umption. Um, that they might have been... You know, it kind of lends itself to really get creative here in the Pentecostal circles. Because, I mean, what are you going to do when you ain't getting burned up by fire? And you have the presence of an incarnate physical Jesus that you didn't even realize could be possible is now leading you in an act of worship. I mean, I would be losing my mind. People say, oh, don't get excited at church. That's emotionalism. Hey, man, if you've been in the fire that I've been in and you've walked where I've had to walk and you know a God that will get in there with you, I don't have an idol that I worship that will stay where it's safe. He'll get in the fire with you and say, hey, Dave, I told you you had to get here and I didn't rescue you from the spot, but I told you you'd never go anywhere that I wouldn't go with you. Because you know what happens when people see you stand in your faith in the midst of persecution? Listen to what the king said. And then we're going to worship for a minute. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
who has sent his angel and delivered his servant who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, that makes me want to just shout. Pastor, I want a promotion. Stay in the fire. The resist, resist the temptation to run and flee from the, from the pain. Stay in the fire and say, I know that God said for me to be right here. And if he told me to be right here, I'm going to stand here until he shows up. If the fire consumes me, he'll be in the fire. If, if it takes the king watching, because somebody needs to look in and say, wait a minute. Something's happening in their life and what's happening in their life looks like the son of God. Revival sweeps. And the king has a new perspective of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to let Amy worship. But for you up there, the group that missed youth today, I wish I had a list of all of your names. Because the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the God of every one of you. And if He could pull kids out of a fire and let them be an instrumental revival, I don't know what's going to happen in Southwest Florida when you believe the greatness of God lives in you.